And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast live from an undisclosed Los Angeles hotel. Los Angeles, the weather is always beautiful. Even if the teams aren't very good, the weather is nice. We're not going to talk about either of the LA teams for a change. We're going to talk about three teams, deep dive into them that we haven't hit yet and that are off to interesting starts, starting with the Dallas Mavericks. Seven and five, eighth in offense, pretty good. Ninth in defense, okay. Last year, kind of doubling down on last year wasn't a fluke. Sixth in net rating, would usually portend a record a little better than seven and five. That's that's encouraging. Big games coming up against the Nuggets twice, the Celtics, the Bucks, and the flailing, flailing Golden State Warriors. So we're going to learn a lot about the Mavericks soon. Luka Doncic. 34 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists, or maybe 9 assists, 8 rebounds. I don't care. It's a lot of everything (laughs) on pace to break every isolation record in every database we have. Tim McMahon, how are you? Howdy. Howdy, partner. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm in a good mood this morning. I can see. You seem very chipper. So I guess the biggest storyline with the Mavericks so far is... Luca's doing everything, and we're 12 games in, and there's already concern that Luca is doing everything. Um, they have been figuring out how best to integrate Christian Wood. Their starters uh, around Dinwiddie and Doncic have an alarming habit of all posting single-digit scoring games between 0 and 9, and sometimes 0 is in play for <laughs> one or two of them. Reggie Bullock is off to his annually, annual mm-hmm. – did Reggie Bullock forget how to shoot start to the season? That'll come. Uh, to some degree, they made their own bed with this when they screwed up the Jalen Brunson situation. He's doing very well in New York. Um, I don't know. This feels like team holding pattern, holding till the next move, holding till the theoretical number two guy is here. But Dinwiddie, Tim, 18 a game on good shooting, everything you could want from him. Christian Wood, 16 a game on good shooting. Feels like there's some meat on the bone there. Uh, if this is a holding pattern, it's, it's a pretty good holding pattern. And I saw Perk last week. Just right off the Mavs as first round exit. That's the ceiling for this team. That's all they are. I'm like, I'm not doing that as long as Luca is on the team because he's that good. But I kind of don't know how to feel about them 12 games in. How should I feel about them? Uh, that's a good question. And I agree with you. You can't just assume they're a first round exit because odds are they'll have the best player in that first round series. And, you know, I can promise you this the other playoff teams in the Western Conference aren't exactly uh, eager to see. Luka Doncic in a playoff series. Now, <laughs> there is a reasonable question of how much gas is he going to have left in the tank by the time the playoffs roll around. And, you know, you, he he obviously got off to this crazy start. He's he's 30-plus points, first nine games of the season. Him and Wilt are the only ones who have done that. And then they go on this back-to-back Orlando without Paulo, uh, Washington without Beal and KP. He stinks it up. He looks like he's just on E. They lose both those games. You know, he's well under 30 points, you know, shooting at 9 to 29 in one game, 8 to 21 with a little, you know, some garbage buckets uh, in in the next game. And you're like, dang, man, is it like we haven't even gotten to Thanksgiving yet? Is he already running out of gas? And then he comes back the next game and goes for a 42 point triple double. Um, And, you know, so obviously the fact that he bounced back, he talked about he had a great recovery day. You know, Luca's going to have to be very diligent about taking care of his body. That means he's going to have to be very diligent about what goes 
into his body. You know, what's he eating? How much is he eating? What's he drinking? How much is he drinking? Um, you know, and then just the, the, the recovery, all the, the boots and, you know, this and that, and the other, all the, all the hot tub, cold tub, all that kind of stuff. He's going to have to be extremely diligent because they are asking him to carry a load that I don't want to say it's unprecedented, but it's certainly uncommon. Uh, you know, you have to talk about Houston, James Harden, pre CP three, you know, maybe OKC, Russell Westbrook, these kind of a loads. And you mentioned that they messed up the Brunson situation. They messed it up and they could have had him on an extension. Um, you know, but by the time he got to free agency, that thing obviously was uh, he was heading to New York. They weren't going to going to match that. They also messed up the Goran Dragic situation. You know, Goran Dragic is playing really, really well in Chicago. And I'm not sitting here telling you, hey, Goran Dragic would have solved everything. He'd have been a 35 minute per game guy. The Mavericks didn't think he could be a 20 minute per game guy. Um, they basically wanted him to be a foot shorter version of Boban. You know, go out to dinner with Luca, hang out, babysit a little bit, um, wave a towel at the end of the bench, and every once in a while get in the game. He's like, nah, I've got I've got some juice. I've still got some juice. He's showing that in Chicago, and they really need uh that third ball hander. You know, having said that, Dinwiddie has been really good. Dinwiddie also has become, and it's getting the sample size is getting big enough to where you can say it ain't, you know, this ain't small sample size. He's become a knockdown three point shooter. Um, especially, you know, you ask that, that Blazers game the other day, like he made three or four in a row right down the stretch to snatch mm-hmm. them a little bit of a good home win there. Right. And he'll tell you, Hey, early in my career, I wasn't getting, you know, these clean catch and shoot opportunities. I've always been a pretty good catch and shoot guy. Now he's a great catch and shoot guy. Um, that's important. They need Finney Smith and Bullock to get back to being really good catch and shoot guys. Both of those guys, just like last year are off to slow starts. Um, you know, they went out and they used their one chip in free agency, that taxpayer mid-level, uh, to upgrade the starting center position. And, oh, that upgrade was a DNPCD the other night. JaVel McGee's been a total bust. He's not better than Dwight Powell. It's painfully obvious. Dwight Powell's already back in the starting lineup, which anybody who's objective can see, hey, that's it. that should be the case. You know, th- that's difficult. But I, I agree with you that they are, in terms of legit contender, it's team holding pattern, and I think you've got to hold through this year after they you know, pay the end of the Porzingis deal with the pick that they owe there. Then they've got the full complement of picks, and they've at some point they've got to get a legitimate co-star. Um, but, man, when Luke is this good, when he's, you know, when, when just, hey, when Luke is in reasonable shape, they're still dangerous. They're still dangerous. Um. The Brunson thing is interesting because when we say they screwed up the Brunson situation, we're likely we are talking about the fact that they didn't offer him the four year, fifty five million dollar extension in a timely enough fashion. By the time Correct. it was on the table, he had clearly outplayed it. And mm-hmm. and usually my brain stops there. I, I had a GM ask me a couple weeks ago, forget that. Why didn't they just overpay him this summer? I mean, the cap is going up. It's not like his yeah. contract with the Knicks is like a bad contract. Why didn't they just throw thirty million dollars at him? And you want to say by then the bridge wasn't burned, but it was like it was like someone had lit the match and a couple of planks were on fire and some some smoke was in the air. But money talks, man. And I thought, boy, I didn't really think of that. That is an interesting point because every contract that's signed now, Tyler Hero, Jordan Poole, the reaction is, well, the cap's going up. Who cares? It's free money. Well, it, it that's why I thought all the hullabaloo over the Brunson deal was misplaced. I thought that was totally fine for the Knicks. I think I called it a nice yeah. B B plus contract. 
why not give him a B B minus contract that you can trade down the line? I just hadn't thought of that. Was that even was that even on? I guess it was on the table. I think they would. I think the Mavericks would have given that a hearing for sure. I mean, not the Mavericks. The Brunson camp would have given that a hearing for sure. Well, and it's funny because you know Brunson obviously he had he had outplayed that extension by the time they put it on the table after the trade deadline. He knew that, so he was like, "No, no, no, we're going to hold off. Uh, you're 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 about a month and a half too late putting that thing on the table." Um, and so, you know, but at that point, like you were hearing, yeah, four for 80, somewhere in that range. Then the playoffs, uh-huh. especially the three games where Brunson just, you know, he had 41 and 31 to lead them to wins when, when Luca was out with a, uh, with a calf strain. Now, <laughs> you know, fortunate matchup where he got to play a, a Utah team that wasn't exactly stout on the perimeter defensively. But, and, 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 and they've got to be still. They've got to be watching Donovan Mitchell in Cleveland and and being like, "Where was this effort?" Whoa, man, you're trying pretty hard. It turns out when you try really hard, like you're kind of like you got a long wingspan. You're tough. Like, wow, who knew? We kinda. begged and pleaded for the last few years for you to do that, but hey, um, but no, Brunson. You know, it, it was apparent after the playoffs. Like, it's this dude's getting you know somewhere in the nine figures. Um, and then Cuban, you know, he said on the record, Hey, we can pay him more than anybody kind of puffed his chest out. And I, you know, the kind of the perception was, that, you know, you're trying to scare teams away. I think the, one of the major miscalculations they made, they did not think that the Knicks could create that kind of cap space so painlessly. Like, you know, think the Knicks didn't give up a, they actually added first round picks in the process. Um, you know, they thought, Hey, worst comes to worst. You know, they're going to have to give us a, a pick to, to create that cap space. No, Detroit was more than willing to help them out. So I think that was a miscalculation, but they just, you know, there was this thing of, well, he's not a perfect fit with Luca. You know, he's, he's really a point guard. Who's kind of figured out how to play off of Luca. Um, seems like small. that seems good. The player you just described, a point guard who figured out how to play off of Luca. Oh, wow, that's nice. I'd like to have that. I'm giving you their perspective, which I believe was absolutely wrong. Um, you know, you're always going to have some defensive issues playing Luca with a small guard who has some limitations on that in the floor, which I would say, well, you're still the number seven defense in the league last year. Uh, great coaching job, but you know, with the uh, Finney Smith, a Bullock, and you know, Maxi Kleba playing significant minutes. And, you know, he figured that out. Um, I, the, the one thing I don't know, and we will never know, is how much would it have taken to keep Brunson? They, the Mavericks kind of put their line in the sand at, quote-unquote, Fred Van Vliet money. What you're talking, you know, five years, 105, 110, somewhere in that range. Well, obviously, he got 104 over four from the Knicks, so that was never going to come close. You know, like like you said, could you have gone? And I don't remember what exactly the max number was. I want to say five years, one forty. I, I I might be off. I don't know because listen, he obviously has the family ties. You know, his dad's now on the Knicks coaching staff. Uh, the long ties to Leon Rose, who's his godfather, has known Jalen literally his entire life. Rep, repped his dad, Rick, who's uh, Leon Rose's first client as an agent. We all know that story. The other thing, though, is Jalen did see opportunity and you know he wanted to have the ball in his hands and I'm, I'm not sitting there saying that like as some sort of a selfish thing I think you know especially getting a taste of being the guy for those first few games in the playoffs 
there's some confidence that comes along. Hey, oh, I yeah. can do this. This is I a can... guy who was out of the rotation previously, like two or three playoffs ago. He couldn't get on the floor. You know, yeah, it's a big, uh, the, big the, deal for him to do yeah, that in the playoffs. Right. The year before, they yanked him. They they basically benched him down the stretch in their in their second series against the Clippers. So, you know, was there an extension coming that summer? Shoot, that, you know, he'd just been basically benched in a playoff series. Um, but so I I don't know how much it would have taken for him to stay in Dallas or if it just got to a point where, Hey, you know, he wanted to go to New York. He wanted to be with family and he wanted to be in a situation where he, it was his offense to run his team to run. Well, if they are team holding pattern this year, as we spin it back forward, that's fine. Dallas's team holding pattern still scares the hell out of pretty much everybody mm-hmm. because of Luca and Luca being a, a God. Um, you're on the clock after this year, yes. though. If, if this 100%. is this is not a multi-year holding pattern, this is this guy is this good. He's a top five player right now at worst. He's a first team All NBA guy. Every season he's healthy. He is a one man playoff defense scheme destroyer. Throw mm-hmm. whatever you want at me. Second possession of it, I've figured it out. I know how to counter it. You cannot do anything to contain me. It's just a matter of do we make enough shots and defend well enough. You're on the clock. Let's talk about, you mentioned unprecedented. You want to hear some numbers? I looked up some numbers right before this. You ready? I like numbers. The Mavericks are averaging 31 isolations per 100 possessions. The Thirty number, and a half of those are Lucas. Well, I don't even know. It's not quite <laughs> no, that Dinwiddie's bad. Dinwiddie's got a few, but yes. Yeah, Dinwiddie likes to dance a little bit. Uh, I forgot that I'm on YouTube, and so everyone just saw me Woo, shoulder, shoulder shimmy. Uh, Can't stay in hey, front of Zach Lowe. I, I, at weddings, I get after it, my friend. Um, 31, the, thir- 31 isolations per 100 possessions. That's the Mavericks as a team, according to Second Spectrum. Number two is 23 per 100 possessions. So that eight isolation gap, that's the same as the gap between number two and number 22 in the NBA. So they're mm. just lapping the field in isolations. Luca, 23 and a half Per 100 possessions. You mentioned all his predecessors in ball dominance, the Hardens and the Westbrooks and currently SGA, honestly. No one else, no one else in the entire second spectrum database, which goes back to 2013. I mentioned Luca 23 and a half. No one else is over 19 and a half. So what he's doing is just absolutely bonkers historically. Obviously, it is not sustainable. Obviously, this is not a model to win a championship. The question is, well, a couple of things. Number one, the the, the stuff it's producing is crazy. Like, they're, I said they're only eighth in offense. They're first in free throw rate. I'm not sure how the hell that happened, except Luca is living at the free because throw Luca line goes now. to the line 12 times a game. That's 11 what, and a half a game happens. or whatever. Um, <laughs> they're taking the third most threes, the tenth most shots at the rim. Put it all together. They have the best, the number one location assumed field goal percentage in the entire league and they're not even shooting that well so like whatever this offense is doing it's producing pretty much everything you want except offensive rebounds but it's obviously not a sustainable way to win history will tell you you unless you have Michael Jordan even LeBron James couldn't win the whole thing at usage rates like this we all know that my question for you is throw team holding pattern aside team holding pattern is still trying to win Mm-hmm. What what can they do about this with the roster that they have now? So, and this gets back to you saying, hey, they're on the clock. And when you say they're on the clock, we're just talking simple NBA math. Luca is on a four-year deal. Forget the player option. It's irrelevant, right? So when you get to be 
halfway through that, you got two years left. We've seen, and I'm not saying he would do this, but you have to be concerned. Hey, if that trip to the West Finals where you got you know pretty easily dismissed by the Warriors, then lost your best, second best player, if that's the high point of what would be his first six years, does he get itchy? Does he start you know angling to get somewhere where he has a chance to win a championship? This you know, so that's the concern, and I I I state that to say I don't think the Mavericks can make any moves this year where they're giving up a pick. I don't think you can make you can give up a pick as no. the Dallas Mavericks to make a move that makes you a little bit better. No. You have to be ready to bundle those things up. You're going to have your full complement after this year. You have to be ready to bundle those things up and go get whoever your version of Drew Holiday is. The Bucks did it with Giannis, right? There was I mean, the 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 hype about where's Giannis going to go? Miami, Dallas was lining up. I mean, the whole you know, LA, the whole league was lining up, ready to go after Giannis. The Bucks go get Drew Holiday, and they gave up a ton of draft capital to do it. And Giannis is like, you know what? I can win a championship right here. I'll sign another extension. Let's go. Boom! The Bucks win a title. The Mavericks have to keep their picks bundled up, and so I think it's going to be difficult to find ways. Uh, to to upgrade this year, um, no, know, I'm talking let, I'm talking in house solutions. Let's assume they okay. did do nothing. Like if this is a if this is a problem, it's on the coaching staff and the front office, but mostly the coaching staff saying, yeah. "Look, we just can't. We've identified it as a problem. All right, so what the hell can we do about it? Let's have a meeting. Like let, let's bring Luca in. Like what's our options? And, and, I have one idea, but it's a very simple one. Okay, I'm I'm curious to hear your ideas because there was talk going in the season of hey. You know, we think Josh Green can be that third ball handler. Josh Green has taken a major, major leap this year. But he, what he is is a really good – he's hitting his threes, which is yep. a huge development. He's a really good three and D energy kind of havoc creator. He's not a ball handler. He yeah, can he's a quick extra out. passer, yes. DHO guy, cut, move the ball. Maybe he grows into that, what they're talking about, but that ain't happening right now. No. And so, I mean, I'm curious to hear what your ideas are. because, And look, you've heard, like after they play the Nets, you heard KD basically say they don't have anybody else on the roster who can dribble. You After they played the Wizards, you heard Kuzma say, you know, we know they're very limited outside of Luka. Now, I will say the context on Kuzma, Dinwiddie's brief stint in Washington did not go well. It was not popular. So I read that despite the fact that Dinwiddie had 30-something in that game. I read that as Kuzma taking an opportunity to get another shot in at uh, at Dinwiddie, but there's truth being told there. Um, I mean, Faku's not the guy, right? Faku is playing that. He's a foot and a half shorter version of Boban. You know, dinners with Luca, wave a towel, nice guy in the locker room. Everybody likes him. Um, Neil Akeen is not the guy. So I don't know. You have an idea. I'm very curious to hear it. Look, my only idea is like, it's not even really an idea. It's just like there are three guys on the roster who can create their own shot. Luca. Dinwiddie and Wood. Mm-hmm. They've played 33 minutes together the entire season. Maybe you need to play them together more and just sort of develop a little more synergy between them so that Christian Wood is not just kind of a pick and pop big when Luca's on the floor because you can do more than that. Now they're minus 12 in those 33 minutes. Obviously, they're concerned about the defense no matter yeah. where they put Christian Wood at center, uh, at power forward. Teams are going after him. His pick-and-roll defense isn't good enough. They're going to work the whole season on that to make sure he stays focused. He's a do-his-work-late defender. Like He's always kind of late 
to get to where he needs to be at the point of attack. And when you're that, when you're late like that, then you're lunging, you're lurching, you're out of position, you're vulnerable to blow bys. There's always just little gaps. Too big. The gaps are too big with Christian Wood, but they're going to work on that. The problem then becomes like, all right, do we want to put Kleba on the floor so we have like our yeah. defensive bulwark? Okay, well, th- that's up to four, and we haven't had Bullock or Finney Smith or Hardaway, so some of our sort of steadfast wings are going to be on not on the floor. Or do we want to just go all in with Wood at the five, which they've been hesitant to use? Here are the numbers on that. When it's Wood as the only big man on the floor and Luka, so you, you got to have Luka. They're mm-hmm. plus 13 per 100 possessions. But they've only played 78 possessions together, so clearly they're afraid to play yeah. Wood at the five a lot. I just feel like if this is actually a problem, if this is a problem that you have I've identified as a not fatal, but we have to do something about this, I just think you got to lean a little bit more into Wood, maybe Wood at the five, Wood, Luka, Dinwiddie together, and just see how bad is it actually going to get on defense? Can we survive on defense? And if it, if it ends up being too bad, you pivot back the other way. But that that's the only in-house solution that I really see. Yeah, and, and we mentioned that road trip, which is, which is rough, the two bad losses in Orlando and Washington to, to depleted teams. Lucas dunked it up, looked out of gas. Wood didn't make that trip. He had a little knee thing. Uh, he didn't make that trip. You know, that, So like you said, one of the only other guys who can create offense – uh, wasn't on the trip and and they certainly missed him. Um, you know, he comes back against Portland, uh, fouls out in like 21 minutes, but I think, you know, he, I want to say he ended up with 17 points and there was a lot of, uh, a, a lot of hard role there. You know, Luca fed him for, I don't know, three, four, five dunks in that game. You know, you do see certainly some offensive, uh, synergy with those guys. Um, and you know, there's been a lot of, uh, bemoaning from from fans and and you know uh certainly people who <laughs> have christian wood's best financial interests in mind uh, about wood being in the starting lineup that's not going to happen um you know can he close games well you know why that you, you mentioned the minus 12 with dinwiddie and, and luca and wood as a trio uh minus 16 of that is in the last four minutes against oklahoma city and after that game, Jason and they lose that game in overtime. Wood did not play overtime, by the way. So it's not like pulling him off the floor was the solution either, uh, in fairness to him. But after that game, Jason Kidd made a point to note that, hey, we tried to see Wood in the closing lineup. And, and as he says, it didn't go well on either end. And then he fouled out the other day against Portland, and they ended up closing with no center on the floor. They put Finney Smith yeah. in center, and they actually just kind of heated up and went bananas and won the game. Now, I, I, it is worth noting that Nurkic didn't play in that game. I don't know if you can do that if, if Nurkic is out there just you know stuffing uh, 220-pound Finney Smith in the bucket every time. Um, but yeah, they're they're searching there. They're searching there. You know, they, they Wood has been very good in that bench scoring role, where as you noted, most of his minutes they are attaching him to Maxi Kleba. Right. And and that's obviously for defensive reasons. And and Maxi can just be a spacer offensively in those situations. So it's really not even like you're playing two bigs together. And he can roll. Maxi can roll too. The numbers Doncic Wood Kleba plus thirty four and hundred and four minutes together. That that yeah. trio has been dynamite. And and a lot of that is playing against other teams' second units, but it's been a really effective group. And but you know, again, it gets back to Maxi Kleba has the trust of this coaching staff. 
He's going to be on the floor to close games the vast majority of the time. They have chosen to usually have him as the lone big and not have him with Wood, and and we'll see. Um, and the Mavericks have stunk. Look, they blew a 22-point second-half lead. You know, I think it was 15 in the fourth quarter against the Suns to open up the season. I just mentioned the 16-point uh, lead they blew OKC. in the last four minutes against OKC. Teams with 16-plus-point leads in the last four minutes at the time. This is our stats and information group, obviously. I didn't do this research myself. might surprise you. There were 9,975 and one over the last 25 years going into that. 9,975 and one. <laughs> the Mavericks spent at 9,975 and two. Um, so they've had two. You know, you but, know what? That's pretty cool. I think if I were a Mavericks fan, I would embrace that and be like, you know what? We made some history. At least we made some history. That's a memorable event. Right. And so you've had two massive meltdowns. You're, you're talking about a seven and five team. So have two massive meltdowns and then three losses. We're just like, what in the hell? You, you lost to the Pelicans without Zion and Ingram and her. That was Jones, a bad one. Matter. You, you lose to the freaking Orlando Magic without Paulo. You lose to the Wizards without Beal and KP. So they've had two terrible meltdowns, games that shouldn't even have been clutch situations, that they melted down to make clutch situations, and then three losses against, I mean, just inexcusable. Um so it's it's a it's a weird team, but then man, Luca is just playing at such an elite level, and you're sitting here, you're still seven and five. You know, two guys that were huge for you in the playoffs and the, the whole second half of the season is three and D guys can't hit a damn three to save their lives. I'm talking about uh, Reggie Bullock and, and Dorian Finney-Smith. Although Finney-Smith did hit a clutch one the other night, uh, kind of the dagger the other night against Portland. Um, you know. <laughs> It's a, it's a confusing team. It is a confusing team. Well, as I mentioned, the schedule is about to get rough, so we're going to learn a lot about them, and they're going to have to play well to beat these teams. If they don't, they're going to be 500 or under pretty soon. But I, I, I just think they have a pretty high floor as long as Luka is there, mm-hmm. and they're going to go on a run where they look good. Christian Wood, 16-8 and eight on 57% shooting overall, 42% on threes, 64% on twos. He's doing his job. Tim Hardaway Jr. is coming into form. Josh Green's coming into form. It's going to be an interesting next couple of weeks for the Mavs. Maybe we'll check in after that. Tim McMahon, Hoop Collective, Howdy Partners, (laughs) ESPN.com, doing it all. Thank you, sir. It is nice to talk hoops with somebody who knows what they're talking about. They usually stick me with Wendy and Bond, Tim, so this has been an absolute pleasure. Yeah! (laughs) Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? Full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes 
Hashtag vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. All right, let's flip to the other side of the Jalen Brunson sweepstakes, the New York Knickerbockers. Six and seven. Okay, you know, kind of about what we expected the Knicks to be. For a while, they were beat the bad teams, lose to the good teams, and I thought, maybe that's good. The first step to organizational competence, or one of them, is beat the teams you should beat. And the Knicks were doing that. Then they got roasted in Brooklyn by the undermanned Brooklyn Nets by 1,000 points. And then on Sunday in Madison Square Garden, the self-proclaimed world's greatest arena, I guess it can't proclaim itself that it's just a building, but certainly proclaimed every 35 seconds on MSG's broadcast. They gave up 145 points in a regulation professional basketball game to the Oklahoma City Thunder and lost and Evan Fournier played a lot down the stretch for some reason because he's not doing anything. And R.J. Barrett didn't play down the stretch for some reason because he's at least doing some stuff. And all of a sudden, 6-7 and seven feels worse than 6-7. and seven. Here's why it feels worse than 6-7. and seven. The Knicks are 17th in offense. Okay, fine. They don't have great offensive talent. The, the Randall, Barrett, Robinson. Robinson's hurt right now, but that trio continues to not be productive for spacing reasons. They're 24th in defense. That is not good enough. Um, And their schedule, Fred Katz from The Athletic, their schedule, you know as well as I do, is about to get hairy. Five games coming up out west. Five in a row on the road. At Utah. Oh, boy. At Denver. Mm, That's not great. At Golden State, who can't win on the road, but they're okay at home. At Phoenix, that seems bad. At Oklahoma City, well, they just beat our ass at home. Then we come home, that's great. Have Thanksgiving dinner, we'll all be good. Well, who we got at home? Portland, well, they're pretty good. Memphis, oh boy, that seems unpleasant. Already lost to them in overtime. At Detroit, that's a rice reprieve. Maybe that's the start of an easy stretch. Back home after that, Bucks, Mavs, Cavs, Hawks. Uh-oh, Fred Katz. Uh-oh. How you feeling today? I'm feeling better than the Knicks. I'm feeling great. I I don't think they're feeling so good right now. I mean, it's funny because if you said at the start of the season, the Knicks will be somewhere around 500, I'd say, yeah, sure. I mean, they're over under, I think was 38 and a half. I think pretty much everybody had them somewhere in the realm of eighth or ninth or 10th in the East. And right now they're ninth. And, and yet, I mean, I wrote this morning, it's just the record is, is okay. Uh, it's it's fine. It's about as expected, but something with them just feels off. And, and you mentioned it with the defense. I mean, they're giving up more three-point attempts and the second most three-point makes of any team in the league. They're screen defense. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I, I'm not sure what kind of pick-and-roll defense Julius Randle has been playing for a lot of this season. And their screen defense, their communication, their point of attack defense, it's just been really difficult to watch it's it's been really really tough and teams are just bombing it against them whenever someone says a team is difficult to watch or i think a team is difficult to watch i always think back to the delightful 30 rock bit about tracy jordan 
chasing an Oscar in a movie called Hard to Watch. And I usually and, uh-huh. and, and I and I think of the movie poster, Tracy Jordan starring Hard to Watch. New York Knicks 20, 2022-2023. Hard to watch so far. Um, the thing that stresses you out about the defense is there's nothing in the numbers that suggests any hope for something much better than this. You mentioned they've given up a ton of threes. This is year three in a row of them giving up a ton of threes. This is baked into how Tom Thibodeau wants to play. The first year, the year they got the fourth seed and got destroyed by the Hawks in the playoffs, they got lucky that opponents missed a ton of shots. And I do think they were rotating really hard and contesting more of the right ones than and leaving some bad shooters open. Like I think there was some skill involved in that, but whatever skill was involved has not carried over while the luck has changed. They free throw rate average. They don't force turnovers. They're a terrible rebounding team. And for a team that is built to play brute force basketball, they're not winning the brute force categories like rebounding and free throws. They just don't, they don't, they're just not playing with that kind of oomph. And and you look at like, you look at opponent shooting numbers, they're average. They're not getting, they're not getting like crazy unlucky from three or mid range or anything. There's nothing in the defensive dossier that suggests they're they're wildly better than the 24th ranked defense in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, look, part, their best hope, I think, is Mitchell Robinson comes back from the sprained right knee that he's dealing with and just plays so well in the middle of the floor that guys just can't get to the rim. And, and so much of their issue is that teams get middle against them so easily. Uh, you know, the, when, when they turn it over, their transition defense is really a problem, too. I, I, I haven't checked in a couple of games, but if you go on unpredictable.com as of a couple of games ago, I believe they had the worst defensive efficiency after committing turnovers in the NBA, like by far. Uh, they they just they aren't really getting back in transition. And, and that's a thing where I think is more clean upable. Like you can just match up better in transition. You can run hard and try to get the person that you're supposed to be on. Because the issue isn't just fast breaks then, right? It's it's that you end up getting like a big against the wing or a or a, or, a, or a small against the big, and, and then other teams exploit that in the half court. And that's how they're getting a lot of those threes too. Uh, so so I think there are ways maybe they can they can climb better than, than 24th. And, and last year, if you look at the defensive talent on last year's roster, it wasn't overwhelming. And, and Nerlens Noel didn't really play much and was supposed to be one of their best defenders. And they still finished 11th in points allowed per possession. So I don't know if they're, they're 24th. I do think it could climb higher, but I'm nervous. Oh, it'll about the it'll climb. It'll, it'll climb a little higher, but I don't. Yeah. I mean, they're not. I they're they might be average, right? I mean, yeah. that's what we're talking about. They might be average. The rebounding stuff is just not excusable. It's just not excusable. Every and it's on everybody. Hartenstein's a bad defensive rebounder. He's been starting for Robinson. Robinson's defensive rebounding rate is pitiful. I think that's partly because he's chasing a lot of block shots. I think he's been mostly good this year. Randall is missing way too many box outs. Just lazy. Just not boxing guys out. And again, a team that wants to be a brute force team, you can't be 26th in defensive rebounding. Um, offensively, they're 29th in three-point shooting, which is really last because the Lakers are so far last that they're almost in the G League for three-point shooting. So the Knicks are, are last, let's just say, last in three-point shooting. And now there's all this angst, Fred. There's angst about Tom Thibodeau. There's angst about Randall. We got to trade Randall. Got to dump Fournier. Everyone's just mad. So let's start with zooming out. All this, like, we got to, 
I, I think the theory with Randall and why we, despite the fact that he's been fairly productive this year, 21 and 9, 46% three point, 46% overall shooting, the three point shooting appears to have been a fluke two years ago. Um, he's been fairly energetic at times defensively. Good. He's not, he's not giving the crowd the thumbs down. That's good. Sure. I think part of the trade Randall movement that's picking up steam is we now know, we always knew, but we now know that an offense built around Julius Randall taking a lot of shots and doing a lot of stuff and isolating a lot is a nice ticket to being a mediocre team. And we're sick of being a mediocre team. Well, the Knicks two off seasons ago, I liked their off season when they signed Fournier, signed Kemba Walker, Burks, Rose, all the team options, all that stuff. Like I thought, I thought the Hawks series exposed the need for more ball handling, more shooting, and they kind of addressed those problems in totally non-spectacular, mediocre ways that you knew, you knew the critics were like, well, they're by, they're they're trapping themselves in mediocrity. And my counter argument was, they're not trapping themselves. They're not deluded into thinking these are the players that are taking them to 50 wins. They're just trying to sustain the momentum that they built in this feel-good 2021 season, keep getting a little better until a star looks at them and says, I want to go there. Well, the star looked at them and said, I want to go there, and they couldn't pull the freaking trigger on enough draft picks in a timely fashion, and now that star is in the MVP conversation for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And now everyone's like, well, we got to trade Julius Randle. We're trapped into mediocrity with Julius Randle. Guess what? Everyone else in the league watches the Knicks. They know what Julius Randle is. You're not getting anything meaningful, really, for Julius Randle on this kind of contract. And so that's where that's where the Knicks are uh, in that sense. What's the coaching situation going to be? Because I just read you that schedule. If they are... I don't know how many games there are. Let's say I read 10 games. So they're 23 games in when that when that stretch is over. If they're 8-15, and 15, you know, Ian Begley, our old colleague, reported last night that the seat's getting warm, that there's going to be a big change somewhere if, if they have more let go of the rope kind of losses. If they're 8-15 and 15 after 23 games or whatever it is, I don't know what the change is going to be, but something's going to change. Are, is, is, it, is Thibodeau watch on now? I think the watch is on. Yeah, I mean – What's so weird about the the way I shouldn't even say weird, but but something that's relatively unique to the way that the Knicks operate is a lot of places. For example, I used to cover the Thunder, and basically everything with the Thunder, as you know, is Sam Presti down, right? I mean, there there is collaboration or or whatever you want to call it, but but ultimately the decision maker and the person setting the vision is Sam Presti. And with the Knicks, they have so many different voices, right? And so many different voices contribute to so many different decisions. And I know there are people in that front office who have wanted to move on from Thibodeau for a little bit of time now. But the thing is, Leon Rose is one of those people who has been in his camp for a really long time. You know, Leon is now the president of the organization. He was Tibbs' agent or, or ran the basketball division of, of CAA, which is Tibbs' agency. I like how, by the way, I just need to stop you because we had this exact same conversation just 10 minutes ago with Tim McMahon. I like, and I'm being sarcastic, how the Knicks, by their own doing, have turned every discussion of them has to include like a three-minute aside 
about yes. this guy knew that guy and that guy's somebody's godfather and that mm-hmm. guy went to prom with that guy's daughter and that guy and that guy's great 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 grandfather were at Plymouth Rock in 1620 together and so now as a result Cam Reddish is a Nick or so I just well, I, it's just every time with this but it's look that's that's generally how they've operated right like when Leon Rose took over the Knicks who were the who were the the stars that we talked about potentially coming to New York? It oh was, God! Was Donovan Mitchell or it was Carl Anthony Towns or it was one of them Devin wanted Booker. to come. One of them wanted to come. Hey, you, you know what the problem with their with their plan is, which I would say I actually don't knock them for not doing the Donovan. No, I was gonna say let me own it because I I said at the time, as everybody did, that Cleveland was well constructed to go all in with Donovan Mitchell and the Knicks were not the Knicks were going to trade the whole house for Donovan Mitchell and have a mediocre team without a lot of tools to get the next guy. And so I got it a month or two later. It feels like, well, I kind of would rather just have the guy and figure it, especially if he wants to be here and, and figure it out, figure it out later. I guess I don't, it just, the clock is ticking on the next move. Well, here's the thing, Zach, you want to zoom out. Let's like really zoom out, right? So their plan has been to trade for the next star, right? They're not tanking. Lord knows they are not tanking. And they haven't cleared out their cap sheet. I mean, they signed Mitchell Robinson long-term. They signed Julius Randle long-term. They extended RJ Barrett. They they signed Jalen Brunson long-term. They they gave multiple years to Evan Fournier. It's not like they've given they, one year, right? If they extend Toppin and quickly... That's it. They don't have cap room like for a long time. Yeah, that's it. I mean, right now, unless I mean, they can they can maneuver and whatever. But if all things stay as they are, like they're probably not having cap room till 2025 when everyone is going to have cap room because that's the year of the anticipated big spike. And, you know, I, I think if you look at it in like the normal macro, not trading for Donovan Mitchell for them made sense because it would have left the cupboard too bare to go out and get a second star. And then you have Donovan Mitchell and. And, and not much else. And you're still kind of in that not a contender territory, even if Donovan Mitchell makes the leap that he's made in Cleveland this year. But to me, if you zoom out even more than that, my question for that front office is, OK, your plan is clearly to trade for someone. It's not to sign someone and it's not to tank and, and, and draft a star. It is clearly to trade for the next big star. You deemed that, you know, a bunch of picks and a bunch of young players was too much for Donovan Mitchell. Okay, so you're going to wait on the next guy. Well, the next guy who's as good or better than Donovan Mitchell is probably going to cost as much or more than Donovan Mitchell. And, and, and also we're going to be having the same conversation, right, about is there not enough left over to go get that second star? So it just seems like a conversation we're going to be having in perpetuity about them. And so you have to wonder, like, is the plan of trading for the first star in the door as opposed to the second or the third, is that a flawed way to go about roster game? And by the way, the other possibility is that the next big star who's available is worse than Donovan Mitchell and you end up paying more for that star and I will not name names about who that might be uh and by the way Quentin Grimes had a foot injury in preseason I don't really know what went on with that or what's going on with that it, it, but he hasn't he doesn't play like the guy who was the untouchable guy is, is can't get minutes I asked him last night if if his conditioning isn't there Tibbs put him in against, especially against OKC, where like Josh Giddy is is getting into the lane with ease. 
Shea Gildress Alexander is, is rocking RJ Barrett. Like in the third quarter, they put Derek Rose on Shea Gildress Alexander and, and didn't try Quentin Grimes, who is who coming into the year, I mean, everybody expected to be their easily their best point of attack defender and did a great job as a rookie on, on point guards and, and really stifle guys like Trey Young and all that. Like that's the guy who you would put on SGA when he's going for 21 in yeah. the third quarter of a game. And 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 he doesn't he doesn't come off the bench. They're going with an eleven man rotation, by the way, which is to me just the greatest sign of an overloaded roster. Uh, they they are just due for some sort of consolidation trade, like something. I mean, we talk about a move. Yeah, maybe maybe for Donovan Mitchell. Maybe they should have considered. <laughs> maybe, but we, we talk about a move, and you and you mentioned extending quickly or extending Toppin or paying them in restricted free agency. Like you have to make a decision on. On, on your young guys or something, or, or else you're just locking in financially to a roster that's, you know, middling and, and, and play-in levels. So, like, I I, I bet you, I, I, I'm i not saying it's going to come before December 15th, because that's when the trade market really starts to open up. But December 15th, between December 15th and, and February, I, I would I would bet you we're going to see some sort of consolidation trade where they, they move off of at least, you know, one or two guys who are currently in their rotation and and try to bring in something, whether that means just bringing in picks and and trying to play the protect the other team's protected pick games, which didn't really work with Mitchell, right? Because those games were, were rendered mostly meaningless. If they're going to get a star, what's going to get the star is their own unprotected picks, uh, or or maybe just doing a two for one or something like that. What a tribute to your own two decade long run of mismanagement that you you. With guys, we're going to have to trade our own picks. People think so lowly of us as an organization that the only way we can get these guys is to trade our own picks. That's a that's a tough look in the mirror moment for, but for the team. But that's what happened with the market, right? I of mean, course. The market totally changed. I mean, you know, it, it's really DeJounte Murray gets gets a couple of unprotecteds and then there's the Gobert one. It's like the market has changed where you just have to – if you want to start, you have to give up your own unprotected picks. Uh, and, and it's just – that's just the way it's going to have to go with them. The picks they have are relatively heavily protected, even though they're from some some bad teams. Now, you mentioned uh, Toppin and quickly. Toppin has done his job this year. 20 points, 8 rebounds per 36 minutes. Obviously, he doesn't play 36 minutes, much to the chagrin of almost every single Knicks fan on earth. 40% on threes, taking 9 per 36 minutes. So all the hype, all the work, all the talk about his three-point shooting, that's real. That's legit. Quickly has been up and down, particularly from long range. And, you know, the bench was their salvation for the last two years. It's not their salvation right now. They're getting outscored with Quickly and Toppin on the floor. I It looks like we're seeing kind of the end of Derrick Rose um, as, as a really productive NBA player. He's not playing a lot of minutes and not producing much when he plays. So they're trying to figure out the bench. And they've tried Randall Toppin. They've tried it now. I would still try it more. They're, they're minus 14 in limited minutes with Randall and Toppin on the floor together and no center. Tibbs doesn't seem to like it. He has tried it with Robinson injured and, and a little bit of a vacancy at, at center, although Jericho Sims has played a lot. I would still run with it because I just got to see more of it, but that hasn't worked. We know that the starting five is – I think the starting five will get better – as as they get more reps together, so I don't. You look around like I don't know where the salvation is going to come from, but they they're a little better than this. I expect them to play a little better than this, but boy, those next ten games are tough. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the top and stuff, man. It is it is really 
interesting watching what is happening with him because he's he's better. And it's not just people focus on, oh, if only he could shoot. It's not just that he's shooting. It's what his three-point shooting is now allowing him to do. When they played Boston a couple weekends ago, Zach, he he looked like 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 Bam Adebayo going into a fake dribble handoff on Marcus Smart, where Marcus Smart had to commit to a potential shot, right? He had to, and that's the defensive player of the year. And he ends up just fake dribble handoff him and going straight to the rim and getting himself a layup. Quarterback keeper. He's one of the best quarterback keeper guys in the NBA. And to your point, that tool gets a lot more powerful when underneath it is the threat of a real shot. Totally. And and and, and even the cuts, like he's Obi Toppin's greatest trait is offensively, his ability to make good decisions really quickly. And when you have an offense, especially that's devoid of spacing, like the Knicks are, his quick decision-making, whether that's screening, cutting, passing, whatever, is so unbelievably helpful. Uh, And it's opened up different kind of cuts for him. Like he had had two plays where against the zone, just zone-busting cuts against the Detroit a couple of games ago where he's on the right block and Hartenstein is on the left and he cuts around Hartenstein around the back of the baseline. Hartenstein screens his own man with a hammer screen. He gets two wide open corner threes out of it. Like that's not a thing that we saw him doing in the past. And I'm just, I mean, I know I'm in the majority here. I'm just surprised you could take a guy number eight. He could show that he's legitimately developing and you're still playing him under 20 minutes. Like you have to know, how well, good he is. You Tibbs know? doesn't trust his defense, which I get. Um, he's not a good defensive player yet. Randall's not a good defensive player. Randall's okay. They're both okay. As you're saying this, and as we're talking about how good of a three-point shooter he's become, it just starts to enter my mind, and I haven't thought – the only reason I haven't thought about it more is because it's implausible and they'll never do it. I do wonder what the team would look like if they just started topping at the four and brought Randall off the bench is sort of like, you know, it'll never, again, it'll never happen. Randall made all NBA two years ago, but to, to replace the ball dominance with a spacing quick twitch four, because this offense is just starved, starved for someone to get moving off the ball, on the ball. I think that would probably work. I think it would probably look really good. They'll just never do it. Yeah, uh, no, I honestly, it's not even worth Disgusting. There's, there's, there's no way, there's no way that that's happening. I just, so let, I just so don't let's, see them demoting Randall. Let's discuss this as the big picture thing, and that we want to end with. When I watch the Knicks, the the thing I think most about is he's still only 22 years old, but I just watch the Knicks, and even in games where he's productive, and he's been pretty productive this year, averaging 20 a game, shooting is eh. It's like what, what is, what is RJ Barrett? Like, what, what is he going to be? Because he's not shooting it well enough anymore. He had the same year as Randall, had a crazy three-point shooting year that hasn't sustained. Now, I, I think he's probably better than he's shown the last two years, but maybe he's not. He's not shooting it well to be, like, a really great off-ball player. He's not such a great on-ball player that you're like, well, we're just going to build our entire offense around R.J. Barrett. And obviously there's a huge middle ground between those two poles of players, and that's the middle ground that he will inhabit. I just kind of don't know what it looks like, and I was just kind of thinking really quickly in my head. You can't say quickly on a Knicks podcast, but I was thinking very fast in my head. Like, so who does that end up being in four or five years when he's in his prime? And the first name that came to my head was Jeremy Grant. Is he just going to be – is he going to grow into like a really good – 
third banana, jack of all trades, can do a little bit of everything. Like what what is RJ Barrett, Fred? I think RJ Barrett is trying to figure out what RJ Barrett is, to be honest. I, I will say for RJ, I agree with everything you said. I, I will say for him, part of the reason why I think the the people with the Knicks who do believe in him, believe in him to the degree and I've, that they I, do. I've been a believer too. I've been like higher than consensus on RJ Barrett for sure, to be clear. Yeah, and, and I think part of it is is because, and this sounds like a cliche, it's, it's not just the work ethic. I think there are situations where organizations will bet on the person. Like I remember, I think it was you who said when the Hornets extended Kemba Walker on that, I think it was four for 48 deal years ago. People said it was too much. Kemba's shooting under 40% from the field. His three-point shot's too inconsistent. And, and, and the Hornets were betting on the person that he was going to improve to that degree, right? And, and it was right. And all of a sudden, that deal is looked at as extremely team-friendly. Uh, with Barrett, I think there's, with the people who believe in them, him, him, there's a similar sort of thing. Uh, but they're also betting on the self-awareness. Like, I think RJ works on the right things. Uh, one of the things that he's really focused on is is decision making on his drives, because I think he knows that that is going to be a really really important thing, and that's going to help his percentages around. And again, he's twenty two. We get so fast with these guys; like his prime is four years away. Mm-hmm. Completely, and and I think that that decision making on his drives, if he gets there, he's still not there. By the way, he's better. Uh, but I think that will help his percentages. And Tibbs thinks this too, even more than if he just adds some sort of Kyrie-esque sort of layup package. You know what I mean? Uh, we, we've seen with him, the percentages around the rim are actually up this year. Uh, I, I don't know if he's got way better moves and he's more fancifully finishing there. I think, honestly, there are just fewer crazy flailing possessions in which he just misses everything. I think that's a positive progression. Uh, the next step for him also is being able to find shooters when he gets into the paint. I mean, it's just so important. But look, we talked about the lack of spacing. Like, RJ's a slasher, and this is not the type of offense that you put around him, you know? Uh, it's not the type of offense that you put around Julius Randle. It's not the type of offense you put around Jalen Brunson, who doesn't, who can shoot. Who's been fine. Jalen Brunson's been fine. He's not shooting totally. well from three, but he's shooting well from two. He's doing his job. He's doing his job. Totally. And you want to give him, but it takes a while to, like, get off those, like, you know, funky, low post moves. He, he likes to drive and then stop and then pivot. And he needs that time and, and, and spacing gives you time. Right. So I think, I think it's tough to really look at RJ and say, okay, this is, this is definitely where he's going to go because if he's in a, maybe a four out offense. Uh, I think maybe we see him operate a little bit differently. Uh, but, but I, to be honest, I, I don't know where RJ is going to go down the line. I think the passing needs to get better. I think the percentages around the rim need to get better. And I think once he once he gets with those things that he can he can build out. People concentrate so much on the three-point shooting. Like ultimately, like one of the guys he watches the most is DeMar DeRozan. And I know that look, it makes sense. Like RJ is a controversial guy in some ways, right? And so is DeMar. Uh but but I think maybe if we're talking about RJ realizes all of his full potential, maybe it's like a not quite as athletic Damar in that sort of sense, where he's just able to force his way to the rim all the time. He took the ninth most, uh, or he took the third most uh, shots at the rim after New Year's last year in the league, behind only LeBron and Giannis. I mean, he is really good at getting there. He just needs to finish the job. Look, the whole idea of the Knicks last two years was biding their time, and while biding their time, 
continuing to steadily improve. You can chalk up last year. It's like, okay, crap happens. We had a bad season. The next 10 games are going to go a long way to determining whether there is steady improvement, whether this becomes one of those feel-good, plucky, you know, we're still waiting and the trajectory is good kind of seasons, or it blows up. And the schedule just is what it is. Like, they've just got to be better. They haven't been good enough. And things turn fast in New York. And Fred Katz from The Athletic just I – like, I like seeing you at games because I can tell just – how much work you're doing talking to everybody you you got the you got the pulse of this team the way you want to beat writer to have the pulse of a team so it's it's nice to have you on and i will see you when i get back to the east coast i will see you at a game somewhere my friend well that means a lot coming from you thanks Zach. vivid seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring experience every pitch assist and game winning shot live and in person and the best part each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, ooh, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. For the ones who get it done! Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. All right, let's wrap with another team. I mentioned how the Mavericks 7-5 and five record, kind of their underlying numbers were better than that. Well, let's stick with another Western Conference team that is 7-6, <laughs> and six, but with numbers that would indicate usually a better record. The New Orleans Pelicans, one of the most hyped teams in the NBA with one of the most hyped superstars in the NBA, some we were all excited to see again after a year off, with more trade assets than almost anybody, and certainly more <laughs> than any any team that's really trying to win this year, I guess we can maybe we got to start counting Utah in that. New Orleans, there you go. Andrew Lopez, how are you? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm good, Zach. I am. Uh, it's it's been it's been interesting watching this Pelicans team so far this year. They get off to the the great little two and zero start, and uh, then they they run into the those 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 Jazz men that you that you mentioned. Just now, and then it's kind of been up and down since then because of a lot of a lot of injuries. But uh, those two games when this team was really healthy, really, really good. And then we got, I guess we saw that against Houston the other night, too. They have missed Brandon Ingram from four games. Herb Jones missed a few games. Zion missed a couple games. So they have been nicked up big time, uh, which is one of the reasons why they are seven and six, despite being in the top 10. Now, on the edges of it, but still, we're just going to be optimistic. We're going to count Monday. it. We're going to count top it. 10 in both offense and defense with the seventh best net rating in the league. They have one of the funkiest bits of shot selection in the entire league. They are dead stinking last in threes shot attempted threes and third in shots at the rim. And I think they're proud of it. I think they like that. We're just the new Orleans Pelicans. We beat the hell out of you. We don't really start. I mean, we start CJ McCollum's a good three point shooter. His threes are down. Brandon Ingram's a good three-point shooter. His threes are down. JV, check the win, baby, but he'll let it fly. Herb Jones, I think Herb Jones is shooting 10% on threes this year. Yeah, not, it's not going not, great. Not great. 
He's probably shooting like 60% on foot on the line twos, though. He is, he's got to be the NBA leader in foot on the line twos. It's kind of funny. He mentioned, I think, before the Houston game, Willie Green did, hey, we got to shoot more threes. We want, we want to see the numbers go up just a Have little to. bit. Have to. And, uh, and in the first like three minutes, Brandon Ingram and Trey Murphy both hit uh, foot on the line twos as they were trying to, the old, to get those the numbers old, up. Uh, the old Danilo Gallinari foot on the line two. I used to joke that I think Gallo. I don't know if there was a rule like the Italian youth league where you got a four points if your foot was on the line. Like if I don't know if that because because Gallo just loves that shot. Um, one of the reasons they have to shoot more threes than they do, even though they live at the rim, they know what their identity is. They lean all the way into that. Zion, I like to think Zion walks down the sidewalk and and in the supermarket is making spin moves to get to his left hand in just in just real life. Like, oh, you think, Andrew Lopez, you think you're going to get the last cantaloupe before me? Here's no, no. a spin move, get to my left hand, get the cantaloupe, dunk it into my grocery cart, as if Zion is going to the grocery store. But that's a whole different story. Um, they have to shoot more threes because they give up a lot of threes there. I think they're minus eight in three-point attempts per mm-hmm. game with their opponent. That's a hard math disadvantage to overcome. One of the ways they overcome it is... They get to the line a decent amount. They take care of the ball. They're a monster rebounding team on both ends, and they force a lot of turnovers, so they kind of win the possession game and the free throw game. They, they get to the line, and they don't foul, at least not yet. And so they're kind of making it up for it in those margins. But I, I want to zoom out for a second. My number one take, I was high on the Pelicans, as you and I talked yep. about coming into the yep. season. When they opened the season by just stampeding the Brooklyn Nets in Brooklyn, and then I think one did. Were they three and zero? Oh? They were three uh, and one. No, two, they were, yeah, three and one. They lost to the Jazz in that third game. That was the game Brandon got the concussion. Zion missed the end of that game as well after the hard fall. Um, it goes to, basically you go to overtime without Brandon and Z. Then obviously Utah's playing a lot better. We've seen that, and then they beat Dallas the next one, and then it's kind of been. Yeah, you know, and I, I was super optimistic after that. And yes. obviously the injuries happened and it's been uneven since then. But I want to just, when I watch them, my number one just sort of throw the numbers out. Gut feeling. Let's call it an emotional take. What's my emotional takeaway? There you go. When CJ, BI, Zion, and Valanciunas are on the floor and I watch them play, production's fine. Like they're scoring 115 points per 100 possessions. That's like equivalent of the third best best offense in the NBA. I just thought it would look a little easier than it does. It doesn't look. It looks hard. Like it's it's a lot of one on one play. They're clearly still trying to find synergy together with all these yeah. guys who need and want the ball, and that was to be expected. And I and I think. I just thought, like I just don't. Every time Brandon Ingram makes like a 19 foot fadeaway, I'm like, that's cool. It's amazing that he can do that. I just kind of didn't think this team with this level of offensive talent would be so reliant on difficult shot making to put up these kind of numbers. It's great that they can do it because you need difficult shot making in the playoffs. And I think right. part of that, what part of why I feel that way is, I looked this up today and I like triple checked it. In the, in the halcyon days of Point Zion two seasons ago, he was running 12.5 pick and rolls per 100 possessions. Mm-hmm. That's down to 3.5 this season so far. Like, Point Zion is is not a thing, 
post up Zion is sometimes he's kind. I I I kind of want more of the offense to run through Zion. I think so. In the Houston game, they started to go back to the Zion as the ball handler, CJ as the the screener. Which I thought action. we would see a ton of. That's the whole value of all these guys is like, just like and who's ever around, who's ever near me, like, let's just flow, baby. You, I, I want to say it was, there's been a few games like that so far this year. I think Golden State, they gave him the ball a lot more. Um, the Clippers game was one in particular where they realized, oh, we're going to get into our actions a lot better if Z's the, the the point guard, essentially. And kind of ever since then, they've, they've started to lean into it a little bit, um, and they're trying to figure it out. Up until that Houston game, I think there were five total uh, Zion ball handler, CJ screener pick and rolls that they had set all season. Um, they almost hit that mark in the f- second quarter against the Rockets. They were, I think there were two for sure. A couple of ghost screens, a couple of that, that Z rejected and, and was able to get to the goal. And by the way, I think this is one of the ways to get their three-point shooting up yeah. is to run more of the offense through Zion and have him kick out to these guys who are all good three-point shooters, but when left to their own devices with the ball are going to pull up for mid-rangers. And look, I don't think it's like a crisis, but I don't think you can be 30th in threes. And I do think they need to run more of this, but it's so so keep keep going. What the so the so you think that they, they are aware they are of this? Start, yeah, they are aware of this. Uh, Willie Green again has said, uh, I think it was before last game, we need to shoot more threes. They started going to the CJ action a little bit more. You go back to two years ago, the Zion JJ Redick action, oh, was one of the one of the the top points per plays pick and roll actions in the game somewhere. In greater Philadelphia, Joel Embiid just felt like a little pang of sadness <laughs> in his heart at the mention of the J.J. Redick Zion two-man game. Can you can you have any sadness after a 59, 10, 8, 7 oh, game? I'm, gla- I'm glad you brought that up. It's 9.40 a.m. Pacific time. We're not talking about the Sixers today. Sixers had a very weird season with guys in now the lineup and all this. We are going to talk about Embiid on television later. I'm glad you brought that up because I just want to say this for 30 seconds. You will not – you could watch basketball for the next 20 years. You might not see five games better than what Joel Embiid did last night against Utah individually. Everyone's going to pay attention to the 59 points and the seven blocks. Unbelievable. The seven blocks don't even tell the story of how no. dominant Embiid was defensively in that game. What what tells the story just as much is how many times he was guarding the pick and roll and guarding arm spread on his toes, guarding both ball handler and screener at once to the point that the ball handler was like, "Uh, what what the, what am I what am I supposed to do? Like this giant guy is taking away every passing lane. I, I'm afraid to shoot because if I shoot, he's going to spring up and block it." Uh, 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 maybe I should just dribble around and U-turn or kick the ball to this guy who's not even open. And and the amount of times he did that, the amount of times people tried to fake him on those situations, he just stayed down. It was like, nah, I'm cool. Like, you're going to have to find a more creative solution than that. Oh, you don't have one. It was a majestic performance. Also, those 59 points, Andrew. They were. <laughs> I didn't know if I should feel impressed or sad on Joel Embiid's behalf that 
the Sixers' entire offense, now granted Harden's out, is just, hey, big fella, there's eight on the shot clock and we haven't ran anything yet. Can you just either make an 18-footer or dribble by your guy and maybe get fouled and fall over? Like, please save us, Joel Embiid. And, like, God, God damn it, he did it. I don't know how we started talking about this, but... Um, it was look a hundred and what a hundred and one points in essentially twenty four hours because he did he had a forty pointer against the Hawks. Just watch I was watching the whole game last night and you're just like okay he's gonna get tired something's gonna happen and then he just kept going. Part of the reason going. they start actions late in the game with eight on the shot clock is I think to get him rest on the floor because like okay we like we just gotta wait because the big fellow's walking up the floor because no one else is doing anything. Colin, there was the 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 three on one, where I think he had Clarkson, and I forget who he Clarkson was in the corner. I forget who else he had on the wing. And Colin Sexton's like, okay, Joel's tired. I can get this by him. And it's the fourth quarter, and Joel's like, no, I'm good. I'm just gonna reject this off the glass. We're just gonna keep going. It was just a crazy performance. Okay, um, so we were talking about Redick Zion. Yes, and, that's what and that's your, where we're and going. your belief that they are gonna sort of start figuring out ways to tilt a little more offense toward. Zion and perhaps that could start to result in more threes right and I, you've seen that like I said they started that in Houston with the McCollum being the screener I thought we would see a lot more of that based on the fact that the, the Redick Zion pairing was so good um, I remember a game against Memphis in, in particular during that season where I think they were averaging the two points play uh, they just every they were hitting seems good everything uh, off that action um I think the other thing that will get this offense going is when CJ starts to hit shots. He's got um, that finger injury he's been dealing with, right? He's got um, a little bit of a finger. He's just uh, – he had a, 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 a probably a two-game stretch where he was under the weather. Um, in his words, I felt like – and you kind of go on from that. Like he, But he's like, I'm not going to make excuses. Zion had the same thing, I think, against Golden State where he takes himself out of the game late – um, tries to get some fluids on the bench, and they just they they roll on without him. But once I think he gets going a little bit more, you'll see that CJ's under forty for the year. I think uh, he's shooting like twenty seven from are, three. Yeah, not great, miserable. Uh, and this is this is a, I mean, not to get cliche about it, but this dude is a walking bucket. CJ right. McCollum is going to wake up, and maybe they don't play tonight. Maybe tomorrow have a fifteen of 19, 36 point explosion coming soon. Right, and I think you you've seen that, but, but I think Ingram's shooting totals are up. He he kind of lost his three point shot last year for for a good stretch um, from like December to March. He was he was just not very good as a three point shooter. Once you figure that part out, once you kind of figure out ways to get Trey Murphy some more shots, things will start to I think pick back up on that end. Uh, but I do think a lot of it has to deal with uh, with CJ really getting going and 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 Herb. I mean Herb was. Herb has not been very good as as a shooter this year. He's been very good at nearly everything else he does, um, including his defense. They they've obviously they had that, but he's what he's two of eighteen from three so far this year. Again, maybe he has three more if he you know can uh, if he wears a half size smaller shoe. But for a guy who shot thirty four percent last year from three, you, you expect him to at least get back into that range. And again, I think those two things will help, but. This team loves the mid range. They they have they have done it. I think there was a game against Atlanta where they had eighty five two point field goals. Um, first team to hit that number this year of, of of any NBA team. They like living in that area, and I think obviously with Z, when you're off when you're rebounding offensively the way that this team is, um, 
Imagine if these guys win the championship. Just, I'm not saying this is possible. I'm just, if these guys do well playing this way, every old school guy who hates threes oh, yeah. and, and and thinks analytics are, are are from the devil, like literally Satan spawned analytics on the world. They are go- they've been waiting for their moment to be like, well, see, it's all a bunch of BS. This team, well, yeah, okay, there's more than one way to win. Um, offensively. I said before the season they're no-brainer top ten. I think they could be top five. They're ninth. Style, difficulty, whatever, they're going to be a good offensive team. The talent right. is just the talent. I'll tell you, you mentioned Trey Murphy. The whole floor opens up. When they when they put one quick-trigger spot-up guy on the floor, the whole thing just feels different. Alvarado has been sensational off the bench for them. He won, he won that game. He won that game against Houston. They They tried to blow it. And because they played great in that game, I'd say for three and a quarter quarters, they had an eight minute stretch where they just let Houston just completely do whatever they wanted. And Willie Green changed his rotations in that game. He did a couple of different things. It's actually I want to see how how he's going to continue this. First of all, tied Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson together before what he has done. First quarter, Brandon plays the full 12. Zion plays six, comes back with like two minutes left in the quarter, plays until like the eight-minute mark of the fourth, and then plays the last three or four. Kind of let him play 10 and eight, essentially, in the first quarter, in the first uh, in the first half. Getting those two together, I think, helped. Putting the CJ minutes with JV helped. I think that they're trying to get CJ going as well. But the bigger switch was he has been consistent with Devontae Graham is the first guard off the, or Jose was going to be the first guard off the bench. Devontae was going to be second, Devontae Graham, but that gave Devontae second and fourth quarter minutes. It gave Jose first and third, a little bit of uh, fourth. They let Jose play the entire fourth quarter against the Houston Rockets because they put Devontae in first. Jose was such a Jose. He was a gnat. He was annoying. He was Getting into yeah, guys have, on defense. I have a great, I have a funny ten things item coming from from he, this week with Jose. He he got he got a couple of guys with GTA. He he starts off. He always gets GTA. Is, people no, 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 people don't know because the Pelicans are not. They're becoming a little bit of a national draw. GTA stands for Grand Theft Alvarado, yes. which is what you call the thing that is the the most delightful thing in the NBA, where he literally hides in the corner of the floor. While yes. you're inbounding the ball, hides. Sometimes he kneels, like literally his knees on the ground, and then springs up like a freaking crouching tiger, hidden dragon ninja, and comes from behind and takes the ball from someone who has no idea what's going on. I don't want to spoil my ten things item. That's Alvarado. <laughs> uh, to your to your point though, but he won but- that game the other night. He, I mean, he he gets back, he gets them back in at his energy. He does that. So I think the small changes that Willie is making is is starting starting to pay off as he has tried to figure out, okay, how do I get these three big, you know, four big scores who guys who want their ball, you know, want the, uh, want the ball in their hands all the time, try to figure out how to get these guys going, trying to figure out point Zion, trying to figure out, okay, Brandon loves the mid range. CJ loves the mid range. They're starting to kind of figure things out. And I think it's just, it's taken time on court to see it. They didn't have time to figure this out in the preseason. They did not play a preseason game with their projected starting five. They really only played probably two practices with their projected starting five. So now that they are starting to kind of pick that up, uh, I, I think we're seeing you know just a little bit that how this offense can kind of uh, start to tick up a little bit. Yeah, one of the things um, I've learned 
is you, you got to give coaches coaches know coaches know what quote should happen yes but they they need 10 to 15 games to explore and so one of the things that has annoyed me about the Pelicans so far this season, two of them actually, are, are being solved by what you just talked about. And Willie Green's a great coach. He was actually my pick for coach of the year just for fun in the preseason. Is I don't like lineups where there's just one of those four on the floor yep. for too long. I understand you got to get the bench guys in. you got to get everyone minutes. But I, I like you got this talent. I like to use it, especially when games are in the balance. And I just don't think Graham and McCollum should play together. I, I just think you're shooting your defense in the foot for absolutely no reason, given how good Alvarado has been. And that's the that was one of the switches he made against Houston was getting rid of those minutes and basically turning that into CJ Jose minutes. And the other thing that he does with that is now CJ doesn't have to be the point guard for 36 minutes when he's in the game. Uh, now Jose can be the point guard. You get CJ back to, to kind of some off ball stuff. Obviously, we talked about points Zion and and honestly. I, in the in the in the clutch, they've had a couple of games where basically Brandon Ingram has turned into the point guard, and you just let him start and get going stuff. Um, so I think he's, he is an ice cold late game scorer, and I mean that in a good way. He the only time I, he's he hasn't been this year, I think, was the Atlanta game uh, when he hadn't played in twelve days, and that was the second night of a, a home road back to back. Every other time he's been great. The Chicago game, he won, scored sixteen in like a five minute stretch in the fourth. Less than five point, minutes. There was one part in that game where Zion said the action calls for me to go set him a screen. And he goes, I saw it in his eyes off the handoff. He goes, I'm not setting him a screen. He's about to make this anyway. He makes a shot and they go back on defense. Zion's like, I'm not doing that. He's like, he's he's in his groove. To your point on Jose, Jose and McCollum Ingram, those three together, three ball handlers, mind you, have only played 22 minutes together the entire season. And it's, it, again, the, the reasons are obvious, right? You throw Zion in there, then as if you throw Zion and a center to round out that lineup, you have no Herb, no trade, no other wings. Like, I get it. They're plus 27 in those 22 minutes. Like, I, that's a look they're going to go to a little more. Look, offensively, they're going to be fine. Let's talk quickly about the defense yes. where they're 10th. And if they hold a 10th, huge W, um, huge W for them. Now, opponents are hitting absolutely nothing from three-point range. No. Um, that will normalize at some point. The other fundamentals of their defense, though, are good. They don't foul. They force turnovers. They clean the glass. You know, their shot selection allowed. They're allowing a lot of threes, but everything else is, is kind of okay. Um, this is going to be the determining thing of their season. Williamson and Nance, which is a 4-5 combination I love. They can get more switchy in that alignment, you know, every team is targeting Zion on defense and he's been kind of eh, a little better than a little better than the eh from previous years, but still eh. that, that duo 99 points allowed per 100 possessions. That's elite. Now they're getting lucky on threes. I looked up the numbers. Teams can't make a goddamn thing against those yes. two. There's a little <laughs> luck going on Zion and Valanchunas, which was the obvious concern point coming into the season. Is it just not enough foot speed at the four and the five? That has not been as successful. 111 points allowed per 100 possessions. The Zion-Nance thing is where they've closed games. I think that makes sense. Nance has been unbelievable for them on both ends of the floor. I just, you know, you throw Herb out there with, you throw Herb and B.I., some combination of their wings. Like, they got the bones of something interesting defensively. Is it good enough? Or do you think this team 
actually makes a move with all their stuff. Now, the Lakers pick is too good to move for some of the players we're about to get mentioned right yeah. now because the Lakers pick might be goddamn Victor Wembanyama coming to New Orleans next year the way this is going. Just imagine that for a second. Is there a Miles oh, Turner trade? Oh, they trade? have. They have imagined that. Trust me. <laughs> is there a Miles Turner trade? Is there a cheapo move for Jakob Pertl who helps you defensively but maybe messes up your spacing? Is there – if they're going to make – not a forget the big trades. We know what the big trades right. are. We know what the Brooklyn situation is, and if that blows up, that they have everything they need to go out and get that guy if they want. If they're going to make a smaller trade than that, and no disrespect to Miles Turner, but he's a smaller trade than Kevin Durant, right? Yeah. Um, it has to be a defense trade. I think it has to be a defense trade. Do you, do they fifteen games in or wherever we are, twelve games in, thirteen games in? Do they think they need to do that? Is this like, are you on high alert for that quite yet? I don't. I don't know if high alert is there. I think they they recognize that the one real thing I think that they're missing on this team is a rim protector. Obviously, Miles Turner would solve some of the, that. Um, yeah, teams are shooting seventy percent at the rim now. They haven't gotten there all that much because the defense has been sound, but but right. they're getting lit up when they get there. And again, I think they realize, hey, if we can keep teams away from there and force them into other shots that we want, where we will be fine and, and limit, you know, when you're when you're shooting that well. Um, they do still have. We've talked about this before. Tradable pieces, tradable contracts. Um, you put let's say Devontae and Jackson Hayes together, that gets you into the, the, the $15, 16000000 million range and you can get some better options. Um, there's not just a lot of rim protectors available. <laughs> you know, That's uh, why I went right to Jakob Perl, who's, a, who's yeah. a fine player, but they're just like, you want to say, well, could they just like, just see what Rashawn Holmes is from Sacramento? He's not even in the rotation, but like Rashawn Holmes isn't a rim protector. That's not, he adds right. a little uh, lob threat dynamism to your game, but that's not changing your life as a team. So I know, I know they really do like the, 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 the Nance minutes. Um, he's essentially closed most every game where he's been available. I think he missed one where he thought, he thought he tore his ACL and uh, it turns out it was just a hyperextension. He misses one game. That was uh, quite the scare, I think, for that team. But that's if they go on, if they're going to make a move, I say I, that is the direction I see them going just because you can tell the one thing I think that is missing um, overall on this team is, is somebody who could protect the rim. That's JB's not going to do that. Larry's not really going to do that. Larry's just going to help you in switchable switch away uh, situations. The Z is not there yet, but I mean, to your point, they, they have had some success with the Z Nance minutes. They flirted with the Z at the five minutes, just a just a little bit so far. But if they're going to make a move, I could I could definitely see them in that in that market. Well, we are going to stay tuned. It's been a, it's been I, I like to see them have a stretch of of they have everybody together and see what they can do because I think they're way better than seven and six as a team. They're super exciting and and they're sitting on a gold mine of stuff to upgrade and and I think honestly the way the West has played out so far this season, their urgency to upgrade should be higher than it was coming into the season. And helping us navigate that all year will be Andrew Lopez, uh, who does a fantastic job covering this team for us. Thank you for a little time today on the Low Post podcast, and uh, we'll see you soon, buddy. Sounds good.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.